The Living Traditions Festival is back Friday, May 17th through Sunday, May 19th at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake City. You will find a global food court, live music, performances, art, workshops, Bohemian Brewery, and stuff for kids. Full disclosure, this is my favorite Salt Lake Festival. For details and to see the full program, visit livingtraditionsfestival.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. While we go about our lives, the governor keeps signing laws made by the Utah legislature just up the road. Here are some new ones we're hung up on this week. Plus, we've got hot gossip about a train to Boise and Vegas. And of course, picks of the week. Executive producer Emily Means is dropping in. It's Friday, February 2nd. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Good morning, executive producer Emily Means. How you doing? Oh, good morning, host Ali Vallarta. I'm feeling good. How are you feeling? How we doing? I got to tell you, I'm feeling a little torn because I wore shorts on Wednesday. <laughs> I saw you sunning yourself during a Zoom meeting and I was like, what is she doing out there? Isn't it like 40 degrees? No, it was 60 degrees. Now you know that on this show, when I say tinfoil hat on, what I mean is the one that attracts the sun <laughs> to my face. <laughs> That's what wow. I mean. Not conspiracy <laughs> incoming. <laughs> Tan inducing, actually. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, it's like, it's definitely triggering some climate anxiety for me. But Certainly. then also, that is immediately being like sucked under by how good it feels to have the sun on my face. So it's kind of like I'm in net neutral. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. And I'm sure we're all we're all in the same boat here. <laughs> I mean, net neutral is a good place to be uh, during the legislative session. Yeah. Speaking of which, remember net neutrality? Anyway, <laughs> remember when that was like all anyone talked about? We never talk about net neutrality anymore. We have other things to talk about at this point. <laughs> we do indeed. So um, just before we get into the bills we're obsessed with this week, which is something we're making a bit of a habit of doing on Fridays, it is a lot to keep up with what these people are doing up on the Hill, these people, these oh, legislators, yeah. especially when we're kind of making one show a week about it and we record it about 24 hours in advance of it airing. I do want to give an update. We've talked about the bill to basically criminalize being a trans person in Utah. That's, of course, the bill related to who can go use which bathroom. And that has been signed by the governor as you, I know, have seen Emily and listeners may have already seen a bill that would undo diversity, equity and inclusion efforts in our public institutions has also been signed by the governor. He signed this trans bill quickly and without media present. And there is, I think, a lot to be said about the kind of governor we are seeing this legislative session. It is certainly one that wants to be reelected by a base. Mm. Um, the Trib had a story this week Excellent accountability reporting from Courtney Tanner, who is just so legendarily good at holding feet to fire, um, about how this 
DEI bill undoes some of the things that the governor had previously been proud to tout being part of his administration. So I'm going to link that in the show notes if you want to read a little bit more. There's also a great trip story about how the trans bathroom bill will be enforced. That story is not paywalled. Also going to link that in the show notes. Support local journalism. Yeah. That's the moral of the story. There is a lot to unpack in these two bills, Allie, and we have talked about it over the past couple of weeks. We've talked about this trans bill. And honestly, it's it's done. It's a done deal for the legislative session. They prioritized it. They pushed it through. And uh, now they'll get to, I don't know, other pressing matters as they as they determine them to be. So, yeah, this but this isn't the end, really, of the conversation around the trans bill in particular, like we anticipate um, perhaps a lengthy courtroom battle over this. I mean, if you're Judge Andrew Stone in the third district, you're like, all right, girls, like, here we go. Time to battle with you all again about how you're bullying one less than one percent of the population for no reason. Um, But yeah, on the note of things moving quickly up there, what have they decided is a priority this week? Emily, we've both got, I think, two bills this week that we're obsessed with. You want to go first? Yeah. And mine have a have a theme, Allie. Uh, So this week, I would like to talk about two bills that the Utah League of Cities and Towns is watching. The Utah League of Cities and Towns is a lobbying organization uh, representing just about every municipality in the state, upward of 200 plus cities and towns in the state. It's a nonpartisan organization. And they've got a list of bills that they're watching that directly impact cities, Mm -hmm. for better or for worse. Um, One bill that they oppose uh, is called Residential Housing Amendments. And Ali, this is a a chonky one in that it pertains to city zoning codes. And Uh, I I know, I know things can really... Salt Lake on line one. I know things can get weedy real quick in there. And I just wanted to really quickly uh, quote Building Salt Lake editor Taylor Anderson, (laughs) who defined zoning better than I've ever heard anyone do it. Uh, We talked to him Mm. last year about missing middle housing. We can link that show in the show notes for you if you're interested. But he says Mm -hmm. zoning is the power of local governments to control what's built on private property. Chef's kiss. Fabulous definition. So, yeah, this bill would require cities to approve single family starter homes on one eighth of an acre. And Taylor makes the connection that that then means you can build eight starter homes on one acre. Uh, and this would apply to the counties and towns where most of the people in the state live. So, you know, our biggest counties, Salt Lake, Davis, Utah, uh, Weber. And then there's also like a provision in the bill that's like, if you have 15,000 or more residents or something like that, this applies to you. And then the other part of the bill would make starter homes a permitted use. So basically like... Cities can't say, no, this house is too small. It's on too small of a lot. It would be something that cities have to allow, essentially. 
So this feels like kind of a direct response to Governor Cox saying he wants yes, it does forty thousand more starter homes by twenty thirty four in the state of Utah. This is in conversation with that. Okay, this is absolutely in conversation with that. And um, Governor Cox set like an even earlier deadline, right? He's saying thirty five thousand starter homes by twenty twenty eight. That's only four years from now, right? And so, you know, this would really get the ball moving. But, of course, like, the reason why the League of Cities and Towns opposes this is because one of a city's most powerful tools and functions is its land use authority. So this would basically go in and say, hey, y'all, like, the affordable housing crisis is a statewide crisis. And so as a state, we're going to mandate that you allow the building of these starter homes. So yeah, kind of controversial. Um, The League is a very powerful lobbying organization. So I'm not sure how this bill might change uh, as it goes through the process. But I mean, this is also a very powerful affordability crisis that we're in Uh that a lot of experts have pointed to changes in zoning as being the solution to. So they're up against some science, though, as we've seen historically in the legislature, science often has very little influence. Unlike in Bill Nye the Science Guy, science does not rule in the legislature. Exactly, exactly. Well, the minimum city population of 15,000 is really interesting to me in this because some of the cities in this state that have some of the most prominent housing crises are quite small, like Park City, right? Last week, we were just talking about Park City's population dances around, what, a little over 8,000 people? Yeah. But, like, that's a place where, like, we need real zoning, probably, amendments to be building starter homes. Though I will say Park City itself has kind of taken on that crisis in some creative ways. But the population threshold is kind of funny. Because the housing crisis is very rural, too. Like, there are people who want to live in Boulder, Utah, and work at Hell's Backbone and can't afford to. They would love a starter home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's part of the bill that does get amended down the line. I'm not sure. The sponsor of this bill, Republican Representative Ray Ward, I, I just think it's uh, it's funny, this, this quote that he has. Uh, he told the Deseret News that some people might not think it's conservative to override local authority with state mandates, but yeah. he says, you know, housing is a statewide problem, so basically tough noogies to cities. <laughs> And that is the Ray Ward playbook. He is one of, I would say, the more moderate Republicans on a lot of issues in the legislature. And I I feel like often kind of goes toe to toe with more conservative ideology. Mm. Like historically, he's backed some really interesting legislation around growth. Yeah, Ray Ward in the past has sponsored bills to make it easier to build accessory dwelling units. So it's not the first time he's kind of inserted himself into uh, a city's land use authority. And I'm sure he gets a lot of heat from that, from the league. Yeah. Okay, so question. Do you think this bill is going somewhere? Do you think it's going to be a fight? Do you think it's going to quietly disappear? Mm, I think it's going somewhere. I mean, the governor really wants this to happen. Uh, I am not sure where legislative leadership lands on this particular idea, but we'll see. All right. What do you got, Allie? I have kind of a quickie. This has already been signed by the governor. 
It is the Utah Constitutional Sovereignty Act, which Governor Cox signed late Wednesday night. And what it basically does, you know about this one? Nope. Tell me all about it. Okay. (laughs) What this bill does is it allows the state to refuse to comply with federal directives or federal orders. Uh Uh-huh. It seems unusual to write a bill that gives you states' rights because the states kind of already have rights. Like, I don't know where this could possibly go. My sense is that if a state could actually just pass a law that allows them to ignore the federal government, California would have done that with, like, marijuana. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just so many examples of, like, Mm. federal-state conflict where you would think this would have already come into play. But nonetheless... On its face, it doesn't seem that strange, but let's apply it to some of our big crises. Air quality, right? Where like the EPA is telling us that we need to clean up our air or they're going to basically come in and do it for us, Uh, especially ahead of Salt Lake City hosting the Olympics, which the Olympics coming to Salt Lake City is also kind of a federal situation. Like that is going to be a national, like as we get closer to that, nationally, it's going to feel more like a countrywide thing than just a citywide thing. Certainly. Um, Public lands, right? Like, which we have a long history of our state battling the federal government on, most recently Bears Ears. Um, So here's kind of the like, the thorn in the side of this bill is that in order for the state to fully decide to ignore a federal directive... The a super majority of the legislature has to agree to pass a resolution stating such. So like as an individual lawmaker, you can't be like, hate it next. The legislature is going to have to sort of prioritize where they want to pass a resolution to implement this. The governor signed it and he, you know, we got a press release saying he'd signed it. And in it, he said, Balancing power between state and federal sovereignty is an essential part of our constitutional system. This legislation gives us another way to push back on federal overreach and maintain that balance. On the other side of that (laughs) argument, of course, you have, for example, Alliance for a Better Utah saying this bill sets up an unconstitutional process to evade federal laws and regulations And we anticipate that this ill-advised action by the legislature will hit taxpayers in the end through unnecessary litigation. Uh So this just feels so like shaking my head. Like, what are we doing here? It is the Um, wild west out here, Allie. And boy, that uh, thing moved quickly through the legislature. Yeah. Well, I mean, you noted all the issues where this would apply. Like, this is a greatest hits kind of thing for for Utah leaders. Um, we're always shaking our fist at the federal government unless we want something from them. <laughs> so, yeah, unless we want like funding for our schools or like all that, all that pandemic all that, relief all funding of, that we exactly. got so addicted to. Addicted exactly. to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's kind of funny to have this in conversation with um, the bill that we just talked about, where the state is inserting themselves into how local governments operate within their land use code. But when it comes to the feds say, uh, telling us what to do as a state, we're like, absolutely not. You know, like this is fully in our jurisdiction. This is our our sovereignty we're protecting here. So classic move, I think.
Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patients, and after a few gentle corrections, I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. Visit embodiedpatients.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. Spring is when leases expire, and if you're looking for a new or better apartment situation, here's the scoop at Ico Fort Union. Fort Union is Ico's newest build in Cottonwood Heights off 1300 East and 6720 South. And as they say in real estate, location, location, location. Ico Fort Union puts you 10 minutes from the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and central to all the Fort Union shops and restaurants. But the complex is located on a dead-end street, so you get peace. Ico Fort Union offers studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartment homes, plus these very cool three-bedroom work-live apartments. So if you're starting something new, you can live above your business space. Amenities include a pet spa, a spin loft, a bike hub, and EV charging stations. And they are signing leases right now. So visit liveatfortunion.com for a tour. Okay, give me one more. You said you're filing the two bills you're obsessed with this week under sort of the same category. What is that? Is that amendments? <laughs> that No, that category is uh, League of Cities and Towns bills, basically. This bill, it's called snowplow amendments, and it clarifies that snowplows can't be cited for lighting violations. And I was like, is there a problem with the way snowplows are lit up? I don't know. And so I went and listened to the hearing, and the bill's sponsor said that snowplow operators in small towns are apparently like retrofitting their plows with extra bright lights so they can see the road. But that is illegal. And so this oh. bill makes it legal for uh, city snowplow operators to have bright lights so they can plow the road. And that's and that's it. So I actually don't like that. Where does the League of Cities and Towns stand on that bill? Good question. They actually support this bill. And that's because, as far as I can tell, uh, this is something that a city council actually brought to the League of Cities and Towns and brought to the sponsor of this bill. So there was a city council member from some small town in Utah County who spoke at this bill's hearing and said that their county sheriff told them it was against the law. But they're like, it's a dark, you know, it's a dark sky situation. Like nobody can see what's going on here. That's why these plows have such bright lights. It's a public safety issue. And so the league supports this bill. Okay. So here's why I don't like this bill. This Tell is me. very personal. But I feel like we 
are not talking enough about how we have entered into a new era where cars on the road have lights that are so bright that when you are driving at night, it's like, I don't know if they're LED or what's happening, but like, you know, when you're coming down the road and I actually think the darker the road or the darker the neighborhood, the worse this effect is. And some like truck is coming towards you with those ultra bright, like they're practically stadium lights. Like I'm like, and they're like blue, (laughs) like a blue light in your eyeball. Yeah. You know, the sound of stadium lights going on. It's like, it's like, I hear that when I see a truck coming towards me and they're, I'm first of all, shout out to everyone with astigmatism. <laughs> it's a nightmare scenario. <laughs> and I do think like what these snow plows need to have on them, if they're plowing in the middle of a existing whiteout, isn't the general guidance that you want a lower light in a snowstorm so you can actually see the flakes and see the road a little bit better? They should have yeah, green lights right. or red lights. Mm. Because so that it's like less af- less abrasive on the eyes of other drivers who are already in a dangerous situation. Like, you know how headlamps have a green yeah. or a red setting for when you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. To me, that would make more sense than just being like, let's keep making the lights brighter and brighter in whiteout. What does that do? You know, I don't I'm know, I'm no scientist. <laughs> I'm, I'm not just a, a woman who doesn't like driving at night. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Fair point. Well, I'm pretty sure the Department of Public Safety supported this bill. So... I don't know. Maybe, Allie, you can speak at the next public hearing and and bring your concerns to lawmakers. (laughs) That would be funny. Good morning. Uh, My name's Allie Vallarta. I live in the avenues. They'd be like, cut the mic. Boo. Boo. Oh, my God. Okay, I have one more bill, and then let's get into something way more fun. And this is, unfortunately, I'm going to end us on kind of a grim note. This is HB 119, School Employee Firearm Possession Amendments. This is a bill that's been introduced by Representative Tim Jimenez from Tooele. And what this bill does is it creates something called the Educator Protector Program, which incentivizes school teachers with a $500 stipend to responsibly secure, this is a quote, responsibly secure or carry a firearm on school grounds. And the thing about the gun is that it can't actually stay in a gun safe in the classroom overnight. The teacher has to be physically present on the grounds of the school when their gun is physically present on the grounds of the school. So the teacher is walking on and off of campus every day with their firearm in order Hmm. to be eligible for this funding and to be in compliance with this measure. I don't know where this bill is going to go. I really don't. It doesn't have a Senate sponsor yet as of, you know, Thursday, February 1st in the morning. That said, I would just like us to remember 2014 when a Utah elementary school teacher at Westbrook Elementary School in Taylorsville who had a state permit to carry a concealed firearm in class accidentally shot herself in the leg when the handgun went off while she was in the restroom. That is the path we have walked in this county on this kind of issue. I find this really alarming. I don't think if I was a parent that this would make me feel safer about sending my kid to school. I thought it was the person who is kind of worth quoting on this is a teacher, of course, And I saw a quote tweeted out by John Arthur, who's been on the show before. He's former Utah Teacher of the Year. He's kind of widely respected as a really measured and thoughtful voice on teacher issues. 
And he said, you accuse our teachers of indoctrination and critical race theory, and you want us packing heat? Oh, (laughs) man. And I think that's kind of that. We'll see where this goes. My sister is an elementary school teacher, and every time, you know, a bill uh, is proposed to arm them in some way, I mean, I start panicking. I don't want to see my sister have to, you know, safely secure a gun while she's going to and from work. I don't I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. And this bill wouldn't require that she is armed, but it would encourage her to be armed with a financial benefit and her colleagues. Anyway. All right, let's move on to something more fun because we have hot train gossip, our favorite kind, and it's about Idaho. And Emily, I think you should set it up. So in December, we learned that the federal government had denied funding for a passenger rail train study from Boise to Salt Lake City and Salt Lake City to Vegas. And this is something we've talked about on the show previously, you know, like reinvigorating the Pioneer Corridor from Boise to Salt Lake. Um, We'll link that show in the show notes for you if you want some background. But we are now hearing from Mike Christensen, who is on the board of directors for the National Rail Passenger Association, that that's not the whole picture. So Mike says, and this has been confirmed by local reporting and by the Idaho Department of Transportation, that Idaho applied for the wrong funding program. Mike also says the Utah Department of Transportation similarly made a mistake with their application to fund a study for a train from Salt Lake City to Las Vegas. So it's not that the feds denied us that funding. It's kind of that we goofed. (laughs) And that is the hot goss, Allie. It is the most public transit thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. I just, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. But you know what? Now we can fix it. Again, the mistake with the Boise to SLC application has been confirmed. But Ali, I called up the Utah Department of Transportation about this just to see what this looks like from their end of things. I talked with their public information officer, John Gleason. And at first, he told me that UDOT did receive notification that there was a flaw in their application. But they didn't know what that mistake was. Then John actually called me back and told me he looked into it further. And actually, they don't know if they made any mistake at all with that application, just that they didn't get the funding. So UDOT is going to be meeting with the feds this week to figure everything out. And John says they would be interested in reapplying for this grant in the future to study whether rail from Salt Lake City to Vegas is even a possibility. And we will update you as we get more information about this. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure when word of this mix-up reached Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg's desk, he said, you know, I used to be a small town mayor, and I get it. This stuff happens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah, So wait, are we then like, we and Boise are going to press on trying to make this train happen, but we and Las Vegas are figuring out still if that's in our future. Is that right? 
This is very early on in the process, right? So this grant funding was intended to study the possibility of rail from Salt Lake City to Vegas. And they said from their perspective, anytime there is a potential transportation solution, it's at least worth looking at. So they would support being able to study the possibility. Hmm. But yeah, Idaho is pressing ahead with figuring out how to fund a study uh, to look at the possibility of rail from Boise to Salt Lake. And that's kind of where we're at, Allie. Okay, I'm into it. You know I want to be able to take a train everywhere. I want Salt Lake City to be the hub of a massive Western train network that allows me to, like, train to Bozeman, train to Santa Fe, train to Vegas. Like, this is my dream. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Okay, thank you for the download, Emily, and the palette cleanser. Um... Let's do pick of the week and get out of here. I'm going to go first. My pick of the week is almost too predictable. The Utah Jazz are now sponsored by Stanley. And it appears specifically promoing the Stanley 40-ounce Adventure Quencher Tumbler. That is the version of a Stanley mug that they have branded and sent us a photo of in a press release. Mm. This is a multi-year agreement. So... The Stanley is now, I think, the official drinkware of the Utah Jazz. That is so funny. And they're launching these branded Stanley Adventure Quenchers at their Sunday home game, which is at 6 p.m. against the Milwaukee Bucks. Anyway, the other thing that's going to happen that evening is that when you buy your Stanley, they will have a customization station at the Delta Center where you can, like, further customize it. So you could be, like, have a little engraving that's, like, Emily (laughs) Hart's Jordan Clarkson. Okay, don't call me out like that, Allie. (laughs) The other thing I love about this is that they're doing a Stanley giveaway during seven Utah Jazz home games through the remainder of the NBA season. And when I read that, I was like, wait, are they going to just drop them? Like, you know, they drop cash from the like the Hobie blip. I'm like, kids will die. Wear a (laughs) helmet. You're going to have to wear What they're going to do is pick a row and be like, congratulations to this row. You are the winners. And then like hand them the money. Because those things weigh a couple pounds. Yeah, they're not going to shoot them out of a t-shirt, Canon. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, the thing I love most about this partnership, not to be out here like pimping a sponsorship for the Jazz, um, but for every steal that Utah Jazz players achieve in every game throughout the remainder of the season, the Utah Jazz and Stanley are going to donate $19.13, which I guess is like the year Stanley was founded, a little under 20 bucks to Wasatch Community Gardens. And I love Wasatch Community Gardens. And I think that is awesome because I love when the Jazz give money to like hyper, hyper local organizations. Yeah. And that is one. I mean, it's, listen, I don't know how many steals the Jazz are making these days. It's probably going to be like about 100 
bucks a game, <laughs> but um, we'll take it. Listen, I love the symbolism of $19.13, but can we just round up to 20 <laughs> for the sake of Wasatch Community Gardens accounting? <laughs> Can we also agree that 1913 probably wasn't a great year? <laughs> let, let it go. You oh, became man, famous Allie. in 2023. Give $20.23. There you go. There you go. <laughs> anyway, what's your pick of the week? I'm glad that you spent some time sunning yourself this weekend because the cold temps are incoming, baby. Here's your meteorological Oof. report. Uh, <laughs> we hit the uh, the low 60s this week, but uh, the Pineapple Express storm system is bringing rain and snow into Utah this weekend. That's what it's called. Apparently, it's bringing a lot of rain into California right now, and the train is a coming our way. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sorry. The last time I got a text saying the Pineapple Express is coming our way, I was buying weed on a college <laughs> campus. What is the, the Pineapple Express? That's what it's called? I guess so. I don't make these things up. But you know how uh, the snow squall was on everyone's lips like a month ago? Pineapple Express is here now, baby. So get on board. <laughs> I mean, toot toot. Toot <laughs> Or should toot. I say puff puff? <laughs> All right. Executive producer Emily Means, have a great weekend. I will see you on Monday. See you Monday, Allie. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our executive producer is Emily Means. Our producer is Ivana Martinez. Our newsletter editor is Terina Ria. And our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by the local band Mitochondria. Sometimes we use music from all the kimonos. We will be back Monday morning with more from around this city. I hope you have a great weekend.